0: You're listening to the Birth Matters Podcast, episode 73.
1: I was always like, why would you have a midwife and a doula? I don't really understand this. And Mm -hmm. it was only when I was in labor that suddenly I was like, this makes total sense. Like the midwife is literally there just to to do all the medical stuff Mm -hmm. and the doula is there to be doing all of the practical like hands-on massage support for cam without doubt having both of them there was fundamental
2: I, c- I could not have done it without our it's the things that you, that you need to say to do to reassure your partner and mm-hmm. you know having that extra support is was key I think
1: and also just silly things like when you're trying to go to the bathroom when you're laboring with, with the IV drip and all the wires and like disconnecting them Having her do that instead of having to have Cam do that every time was just great. And I think also because we were at hospital for such a long time and she was there and throughout the whole of our labour really rather than having any time at home.
0: Have you subscribed to the show yet? Please be sure to do that wherever you're listening to this or over at birthmattersshow.com so you don't miss out on anything. Well, hello again. It's been such a very long time since our last season and I've missed it. Not that I ever announced when this third season would begin, but I always have a somewhat arbitrary goal in my head for the season to run roughly September to May. And September totally didn't happen, and didn't happen, and didn't happen. (laughs) I'm sure many of you can relate to the idea that in the times we've been living in, the expectations and deadlines we might have put on ourselves unnecessarily need to be adjusted. We all need to be gentle with ourselves and ask when a deadline is actually necessary or if it's self-imposed and needs to be flexible. That's exactly what happened with this podcast. As you know, if you listen to the last few months' episodes of season two, I took on a new role just over a year ago of director of a local doula collective. I've absolutely loved this new role and being in daily friendship with this wonderful community of doulas. At the same time, it's a lot of new responsibilities and time investment so that I've had to regroup and strategize and learn to ask for help. But at long last, we're back! Thank you so much to the loyal listeners who have stuck with us and patiently awaited this podcast's return. So grateful for you. There are lots of great stories we've already recorded that I cannot wait to share with you. I wanted to share something an expectant parent listener who just recently attended our collective's Meet the Doulas event sent me by email with her permission. Cecilia says, I wanted to share with you how helpful your podcast has been to me. I started listening long before I was pregnant or trying to become pregnant, just out of my own fascination with birth stories. I feel confident about my pregnancy and the many dimensions it has brought and will bring to my life, and I think a lot of my confidence comes from having immersed myself in the stories and conversations you facilitate on your podcast. You do such a wonderful job encouraging listeners to embrace the physical and emotional complexities of pregnancy, birth, parenthood, and all the unexpected turns these life experiences take. Thank you for all the work you do. I am so grateful, Cecilia, that you shared this review of the podcast because it was the perfect encouragement I needed to get season three up and running again. This is the hope for this podcast and the whole reason I decided to create it. So I'm deeply grateful to know that it's made a positive difference for someone in their journey into parenthood. I also want to let you know, especially if you listened last season, that my Doula Collective just completed a rebranding project, and Astoria Doula Collective has a new name. As of February, our new name is East River Doula Collective. The old URL still works, but our new official URL is now eastriverdoulas.nyc. Please note the .nyc, not .com. We have a beautiful new logo, shout out to Amazing 99 Designs designer and contest winner Ivana Marek. It pays tribute to our origins and has Astoria's Hellgate Bridge on it. What a name, right? We hope you'll go take a peek at our new site and logo and let us know what you think. Today's Season 3 premiere episode shares a birth story with birth class students and podcast listeners Lucy and Cameron, who goes by Cam. Cam. They share how Lucy had hoped for a physiological birth and how surprised she was in coming to the U.S. from the U.K. that midwifery isn't default standard of care. As she goes through her pregnancy working with an OB, over time she realizes she'd prefer more patient-centered care, so she switches from OB care to a midwifery practice that delivered in a hospital. Once she has something to compare to, she breathes a huge sigh of relief and feels like she's found someone she can totally trust to hear and respect her birth choices and not intervene unnecessarily. When Lucy's told she needs to go to the hospital immediately to be induced for low fluids at 41 weeks, it becomes clear things won't go fully as she had hoped. However, you'll hear Lucy share how it was still a positive, empowering experience overall because of her careful choice of a care provider with whom she felt truly aligned and who helped her discern each step of the way when interventions were truly medically indicated. Before we jump into today's story, a word from our sponsor. If you live in New York City or Western Long Island and are considering hiring a doula, I'm happy to offer you a couple of excellent options to find a great birth or postpartum doula. If you want to make highly efficient use of your time, we invite you to attend our collective's next free Meet the Doulas event. It's an interactive, speed-dating-style event that will allow you to meet several doulas all in one efficient sitting to see who you might connect with, and then you narrow it down and meet with one or more later for an extended complimentary interview after the event. We usually hold them monthly, so just visit eastriverdoulas.nyc, and on the homepage, there's a link to RSVP. Or if you prefer, you can visit eastriverdoulas.nyc anytime and fill out our quick inquiry form for one-on-one help with this. At the time this episode airs, our next Meet the Doulas event is coming up Saturday, March 12th at 5 p.m. on Zoom. Hope to see you there. Now let's jump into hearing from Lucy and Cam. Welcome to the Birth Matters Podcast. So good to see you, Lucy. And hopefully at some point, Cam will come maybe in and out. I'm back. You're back. Yay. Hi. Welcome. So glad to see you again. And I can't wait for you to share your birth story today. Why don't we get started by just introducing yourselves, maybe tell us where you live and how long ago you gave birth. If you want to share anything else. Yeah. Hi, Lisa. I am seven
1: weeks postpartum today. My name is Lucy and we gave birth at Mount Sinai West Hospital. We did it with Joe at Nettle Wellness was a midwife and I work in the um, film industry as a publicist and I'm originally from the UK as you can probably tell from the accent and we moved to New York about four and a half years ago.
2: And I'm Cameron, thanks for having us Lisa on the podcast. We live in Brooklyn as Lucy said, I work in music as a music agent so both of us have sort of entertainment jobs, high energy stress sort of all that kind of stuff.
0: Well, these are two of my students, and I just loved having the two of you in my class, my virtual class, of course, during the pandemic. I really identified with both of you because you were great students, because you just really delved into all the supplemental resources. And even before coming to class, it seemed like you'd done a lot of research and learning and exploration. And I just love that curious spirit. And I really identify with that because I felt very much that way when I was first pregnant. So it's been such a pleasure to get to know both of you. I was trying
1: to remember actually why like how we found out about found out about your birth class through the podcast, but I can't remember how we found out about the podcast. But obviously, we listened to your podcast. We we love going upstate and hiking, so we'd always go upstate at the weekend and like listen to an episode. And we just felt so familiar with your voice. Like the idea of not taking your birth class would have just been (laughs) like ridiculous. Really, I just felt like we knew you and knew all your students already. They're amazing, empowering stories. So yeah kind it felt like a natural part of our pregnancy journey
0: oh, that means so much to me because of course you know your creative podcast just hoping and praying somebody will listen but not knowing if anybody will <laughs> so it really means so much when I hear that people have listened to not just one episode but multiple episodes oh all of them I still listen to them now And kind Cam's of like you know you've already
1: given birth <laughs> I know, and they're still really interesting. I still find comparisons and hearing about other people's experiences. So, yeah.
0: Well, now it's your turn. Yay. (laughs) So can you start off by sharing a little bit with us about how your pregnancy went, ways you prepared for this transition into parenthood?
1: Yeah. So I found out I was pregnant quite late, actually. I have polycystic ovaries. So My cycle had always been pretty irregular and yeah, I'd been to my annual gynecology appointment in June and I'd said to her, I'm feeling a little bit off, potentially pregnant, but like COVID just started all that kind of thing. I was like, maybe I'm just stressed. Maybe that's why my period's late, like all those kind of reasons. Anyway, she did a pregnancy test and it was negative. Actually turns out it was a false negative because then a month later I did another pregnancy test and it was positive. so. You always hear how accurate they are. I, know. Interesting. So I don't know whether it was just too early like mm-hmm. I don't know anyway so I found out on July 3rd we were going away on that was a Friday and then on the, the Monday we were going away for two weeks so I didn't get a doctor's appointment for another two weeks and then by the time I actually had a dating scan because obviously with my polycystic ovaries it was pretty hard to like know when I probably conceived I was actually nine and a half weeks pregnant which came as quite a shock to me. I was expecting to go into that and then be like, yeah, you're five weeks pregnant. And I was like, oh my gosh, how has that happened? So I knew that I was probably further along than I thought, but not that much further along. So yeah, then I kind of had no idea where to start. Like coming from the UK, I just kind of expected that I'd be given a couple of hospital options and I would just go to one and then I'd have a midwife and that would be it. And I soon very quickly realised that that is not the case in the US and you're kind of expected to... Go about and find your care provider through almost like an interview process, which just seemed like really alien to me and like very much like an unnatural path. So I was given some suggestions by my ROB and sorry, she wasn't an OB by my gynecologist who, who wasn't an OB and ended up at a, a very kind of normal OBGYN clinic in downtown Manhattan and went there for my first appointment and it was fine. It just didn't necessarily feel like the right fit for us. Mm. So then we started speaking to other people, exploring our options, just speaking to as many people like that we knew had given birth. And spoke to a friend of a friend that had delivered at another practice uptown that delivered at the new Alexander Cohen facility, which is very glitzy and glamorous and looks lovely. Yeah, um,
0: everyone seems to be flocking
3: there.
1: Yeah, it seems so. I mean, you go in and it's state of the art, you know, it's very shiny and everything's new and... I stupidly thought that it was great that they put when they did my scans that the the Doppler was warm. I was like, oh, that's clever. I I didn't realize it's actually like that at every single hospital you go to. And they kind of sold it into me as like, yeah, it's really great. It's really, it's really warm. And I was like, oh, wow. And it's, yeah, that's nothing special. (laughs) It happens everywhere. Anyway, we had a few appointments there. And as time went on, and we began educating ourselves and reading and Speaking to other people, I began to realize that we didn't really want to deliver with the care provider that we had chosen at that point.
2: I also think that just coming from the UK, you had this midwife yeah. approach. Just we were set in stone on having that be the way that we went. And I think when we were, when we were at Alexandra Cohen, there was always something missing, and it was that midwife approach to everything. And I think that was, I think you felt that. When it, we were, yeah,
1: yeah, everything felt very medical.
2: Yeah.
1: and one of my closest friends had lost her baby at full term and I for that reason always knew that I wanted to have like medical advice around me but I probably didn't want to have it in the way that it was going to happen if I delivered at Alexander Cohen or somewhere similar to that. I wanted to have a bit more flexibility, I wanted someone to listen to what I wanted and I also wanted to know the person that was going to deliver my baby and it soon became apparent that it was going to be kind of one of eight options of people
0: that were going to give my baby huge practices
1: yeah and so obviously when I presented my birth plan to them they were like we'll put it in the system yeah I just felt like there was no one was really following it I was like who's gonna look at a computer system when you're in the middle of labor nobody so yeah it was suddenly quite clear to us that that was not the right way forward for us and I I signed up relatively early on in my pregnancy to love child yoga who I found invaluable actually and the founder there was really helpful at kind of steering us in the right direction of of questions to ask as well as, as obviously like during your course when we were later on in our pregnancy so yeah I think as we just became armed with more information we knew what we did and didn't want from our birth experience, really, didn't we? Yeah. So yeah. So then we transfer at 27 weeks or 28 weeks, something like that. We were recommended to reach out to Joe at Nettle Wellness, and I kind of did it thinking there's absolutely no way she's going to be able to fit me in at this stage, like so late into my pregnancy. At this point, I'd already contacted, I'd started doing some research, and I kind of hadn't reached out to Joe because I just thought she's never going to be able to fit me in. Anyway, I did. And amazingly, got an email back saying, kind of a fluke, but I actually do have a spot. Now, Joe only takes, I think it's three patients a month. Months, yeah. So it was like it was meant to be that she could fit us in. I mean, a good example is that I think if you told Joe at four weeks that you were pregnant, that it would be unlikely she'd be able to fit you in. So the fact that she managed to fit me in at like 27 or 28 weeks, or whatever it was, was a miracle.
2: It was meant to be. It was
1: meant to be. Oh,
0: so nice uh, when that happens. And uh, didn't you go to Central Park Midwifery where she used to work first and I think they were booked up we'd spoken to them yeah they as well before I reached out to Joe
1: we spoke to village maternity I'd looked at the metropolitan midwife unit yeah I think I've been to, to almost every hospital in New York and just nothing felt right like nothing was offering me that midwife experience in a hospital that I wanted and it's just crazy because that's what in the UK that's just like standard what you standard have. of care um, yeah many of us wish it would become the case here and it's just mad that you have to most likely unless you go to Metropolitan or to Park Soap you have to go out of network for that and a lot of people don't even know that that could be an option if they wanted it to be yeah we feel very incredibly fortunate that we found Jo and that she was available and that we were able to transfer to her so late in our pregnancy story because I think our birth experience and labor would have been a very different outcome if we hadn't have had her I do feel like we would have ended up with c-section or at least have been given birth at something like 37 or 38 weeks but instead we delivered in the way that we had hoped with a few ups and downs along the way as well but knowing that we were being listened to and that our care provider like had our best interests at heart and knew all of our preferences and gave us time and all the flexibility that we needed along the way I
2: think it's I think it's trust too. I think you want to find that person that you just trust, you know, whatever happens during the journey, during labor, you just know that that person is, is on your side and just has the same vision has the same, you know, you're aligned and you just know that you're in good hands. And I think, that was super important for us and for Lucy just to, to feel comfortable and find that right person. Mm. And Joe, through us, ticked all the boxes.
1: Yeah. We'd had some scans as well earlier on before we kind of transferred to Joe that had suggested there were some problems with the baby's kidney, which at the time nothing could be done until he was born. There was also some indications that his stomach was measuring a, bit, a little bit smaller, but things that like weren't really alarming to us and didn't concern us but were presented to us in quite an alarmist way to the point where one scan we went into and they started throwing terms around like still you know terms that you shouldn't mess with absolutely and like no one wants to hear that kind of terminology used and it was what should have been terrifying but it wasn't instead it just made me very angry because of having taken your classes and because of having read the books that we'd read and I knew that this was kind of standard in in a lot of hospitals where they make you worry and and get kind of pathologized yeah yeah totally <laughs> and I came out thinking thank goodness and this was just when we knew we were about to transfer to Joe, and I was so relieved that I wasn't mm. living there because I think I've moved back to the UK <laughs> I never, like... so yeah like it just really made me angry that so many other women would have to go through that experience of going into a hospital and being delivered that kind of information but not knowing that you know, of course it's time when it is appropriate, but knowing that in our case, it really wasn't. And how, how many other women have had that information delivered to them that it didn't need to be. So, yeah.
0: And I remember, I'm pretty sure that you switched to Joe sometime during our class time together, right? Was I, it? Or was it right before? I think it was maybe even just after. Just oh no, it after was, it was during, I think. Yeah, like the last week
1: or two. we transferred just before Christmas. Mm-hmm. We didn't have our first appointment with her until... January until the first week of January just because I just had a scan, I think at the practice that we were using through Alexander Cohen and it was like we'd had like a chat on the phone so yeah mm-hmm. I had a
0: first call with her in January well I was just remembering that we had been in communication and just remembering what a huge load off what a f- huge relief you felt and how beautifully aligned you felt suddenly by finding Joe yeah. And Cam, like you were saying, finding someone that you could just trust and just breathe, just know that you have so far fewer hurdles to try to have the kind of birth that you hoped for. Exactly. So that- That just delighted my heart because many people don't realize until it's too late or they think it's too late or they don't really necessarily have the wherewithal. It it feels too stressful for them to try to do all that homework, which I I understand that to switch care providers. But then, you know, then that's really a gamble. Yeah. If you stick with someone you don't feel well aligned with. Yeah. So I'm so glad that you found a wonderful care provider. We joined the Jazz Birthing Center quite early on in our pregnancy, which at the time we didn't
1: think was right for us. But I remember there was a woman on there that was switching at like 34 weeks. And I kept having her in the back of my head. I think when we were transferring, I was like, well, I'm not 34 weeks yet. So I'm never too late. Like (laughs) I knew she could do it at 34. I was like, I think I was like 30, 32 by the time we got to transferred,"
0: And I was like, well, at least I've still got an extra few weeks just in case. Yes. During the times of COVID, they had made an exception for the birthing center to be allowed to take later transfers. Yeah,
1: I guess that's a big takeaway for me and for anyone else. It's like, it's really... I mean, it is too late at a certain point, but really don't question it. I think people even like when they're at like 16, 17 weeks, like, am I too late to switch over? It's like, no,
0: not when we switched as late as we did. 28 weeks is the mark where the options significantly diminish. But like you're saying, it's not impossible later.
1: Yeah. And then I think we just, you know, once we had Joe, we also had, I'd found somebody that I loved for massage at that point, which is something that like, I'm so grateful I had an amazing person because I was still I still got my exercise right up until the day I gave birth actually or the day I went into labor so kind of having that extra relief I guess was really good and I Mm -hmm. found a really good acupuncturist and made sure I saw a pelvic floor specialist like I mean I was fortunate that I was able to kind of get that support but feeling like I had surrounded myself by a network of people that could help give us the best birth experience possible felt really empowering I guess and yeah just feeling like I was doing as much as possible to help our labour and help our delivery and reading and like I kept a daily journal and things like that as well which I think really helped me to think about how we were going to get through the next few days weeks months and then finally the postpartum period I guess so yeah but the biggest takeaway I think as well was listen to your podcast (laughs) Because that really does arm you with so much information and questions and all the things.
0: Any other things, ways that you prepared? How else did we? I mean, it mean, was a lot. But... I carried on
1: exercising. <laughs> I think that was a big thing for me was just keeping my mental health strong throughout it or through exercise although I will say I was given some advice to cut down on my exercise in the last few weeks of my pregnancy which I didn't do and on reflection I should have done so I think mm-hmm. it easier labor in terms yeah. of pelvic floor health or what yeah I just think being on that peloton like the day I went into labor probably didn't help my pelvic floor like relax and open mm-hmm. in the way that mm-hmm. it should have done and people had given me that advice and I decided to ignore it and uh, advice I shouldn't have ignored so yeah going forward i would probably listen to if someone's telling you to take a step back take a step back
2: (laughs) i think we were snowshoeing at 37 weeks upstate new york somewhere so the activity didn't really slow down yeah
1: there were times when we probably shouldn't have been two and a half hours away from our midwife but anyway luckily i didn't go
0: into labor in the middle of a mountain Luckily, yeah (laughs) cam it was a little hard to hear you i think you said you went snowshoeing in vermont
2: we were snowshoeing upstate New York. It was it was 37 weeks, so she was full term, and you know mm-hmm. it was it was nothing too strenuous, to obviously, but I think just being that distance away from the city, in case anything did happen, you know, having had us both just a little bit kind of
1: yeah. in the back
2: of our head, but in the end, it was it
1: really- was when we were up there and we were gone away for two nights, and I was suddenly like. Oh don't think this was a good idea. In the middle of the night, I was like, what if I go into labor now, Cam? And it was a huge snowstorm coming in that night. And I was thinking, we are my, like three and a half hour yeah. drive away from the city. And I was like, this is too much. Like we need to leave the next morning.
0: <laughs> Just like, trying to get that last little baby moon in.
1: That's it, that's it. We were trying to make the most
0: of it. Well, so is this a good time to go ahead and go on into your birth story unless you have anything else?
1: I always thought that I would go into labor early and I was very wrong. We got to 41 weeks and obviously you have a scan at 41 weeks Joe had kind of prepared us that often things do present themselves in that scan and to make sure that I was as hydrated as possible you know to take them as much fluid as possible to give us the best opportunity to show actually what was happening rather than it being me being dehydrated and presenting like a fluid because of that reason so I was quite nervous I think when I went into that scan just because I really didn't at 41 weeks I was obviously getting a bit anxious about induction and that was something I really wanted to avoid as much as possible so yeah that was on Tuesday March the 2nd so we went into that Cam obviously couldn't come due to Covid policy so he was sitting outside in the car and I was FaceTiming him in which was now standard for all of our appointments this was at Mount Sinai West and the nurses there and everyone was fantastic the woman doing the scan was kind of talking through everything and she got to one point she went a little bit quiet I said, oh, that's not a good sign I said, like, oh, what are you looking at there? She's like, just looking at the fluid. And I was like, oh, how's it looking? Like, yeah, pretty low. Um, just going to go and get the doctor. And at this point, I'd just been kind of catching up with some email admin. And that suddenly went out of the window. And I was suddenly sitting there thinking, oh, God, I didn't pack my bag. And I probably should have done. So then the doctor came in. And he, at this point, Joe, my midwife, was calling us. So I realized that, obviously, he'd been in touch with her. And there was probably something going on. So I picked up and she decided, oh, the doctor's just didn't just call me back as soon as she's spoken to him. So anyway, cutting a long choice short, it presented that I would need to go into be induced that day. I mean the doctor wanted me to go straight over to triage there and then. Which um, they always
0: do. Yeah,
1: which I was totally freaked out about. So mm. somebody who doesn't really cry much, I instantly started sobbing, kind of quite uncontrollably, because I just it was just just to sit here, here like instantly that I was going to have to be induced just was totally I was like well this is everything I ever envisaged has just, just totally gone out of the window already.
0: I know you said this was past due date did you say it was it was around 41 weeks right? 41 weeks yes mm-hmm. and essentially
1: I mean I still just, I can't really remember what they told me but I think lack of fluid, the baby hadn't really shown much growth since the scan I'd had at 37 weeks, suggesting that the baby, that the placenta wasn't really doing its job anymore and the baby just needed to come out ASAP. I mean, instantly in my head, I'm thinking of all the times that I've listened to other people's birth stories and be like, well, why did not happen? And why didn't that happen? And then in the moment I was like, that's when I was so glad we had Joe because I knew that if she didn't think anything needed to happen, she would have told me. And she said, the baby needs to be born. And so I knew that the baby needed to be born. But I went out, to the hospital camera's in the car, went and sat with him. We spoke to Joan. She was like, you know, go home, have a shower, have some dinner. And then we'll arrange to meet back at the hospital like later that evening. And we had our scan at about three o'clock. And I think we said we'll meet back around eight yeah. o'clock. Yeah. So I went home in tears. <laughs> and then calmed down a little bit and kind of just got my head around the fact that the baby was coming then and there, whether we liked it or not. And we kind of treated that time at home as though we were in early labor, obviously without any
0: contractions. I was just thinking that because I, I know when you sent me your written birth story, you said something about, well, there goes early labor at home. But I was thinking, well, she sent you home for your tiny bit of early labor. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I really I'm really kind of lent into that. Like we had dinner, you know, thinking probably wouldn't get a good meal for a long while after. For the next couple of days at least had dinner i think we even went to whole foods to like pick up something had a shower like had a little rest went
2: for a walk. But we did go for a
1: walk around the neighborhood like fed our cat you know all the things yeah on the bouncy ball because was, there wasn't really a need for that but yeah did as much as we could and then yeah i guess just got our bags together and met joe and our doula so our doula was a last minute change as well our, our doula that we'd taken on very early in our pregnancy actually it was one of the first things we decided we took her on about 15 weeks I guess or mm. something she actually ended up falling sick a couple of weeks before our, our pregnancy so we ended up using her backup doula who was a lady called Jeanette who was amazing and fantastic and considering it was such a late transition it felt seamless so yeah so she met us at the hospital and we went straight up it was empty deserted we, went,
2: we skipped, we skipped triage. triage
1: and went straight to were
2: direct transfer so they didn't need to do all the triage stuff and we went right into our labor room
1: and cam was really good like got the candles the things that i thought oh, we won't have time to use them will be that classic like we didn't have time to get out we did have time to get it out so there was me thinking don't so, by the tea lights we never used them thank god we got the tea lights so Cam like set all the tea lights up and like put the playlist on and we tried to like make it feel a little bit more relaxing than the environment that it
2: actually is it was a page out of your book lisa it was all the things that you had said you know get the key lights get the playlist yeah. get the bluetooth speaker you know turn the overhead fluorescent lights off let's let's get those off mm-hmm. it just it did it set the tone right it mm-hmm. put everyone in a relaxed i mean most importantly, lucy it just made her relax because we, we, we wanted to go to labor naturally obviously so we, we were there not really wanted to be there, so it just took a bit of the edge off and just made everything just a bit, a bit nicer. Yeah.
1: I so I mean, within moments of being there, Joe had checked to see what kind of situation I was in, and I'd seen her the day before just for a general checkup, and I hadn't been at all dilated, and I didn't expect to be anymore and I wasn't. So they put me on an IV straight away, put me on all the machines. So instantly, like all the ideas of labouring in a bath or being on. ball like all those I mean I could be on a ball to a degree but yeah I was totally hooked up to constant monitoring so all those things I'd had planned were out of the window again and yes they kind of gave the IV a bit of time to get into my system I guess I must to kind of just relax in the room and do some of the I can't really remember what we were doing in the room I
3: think think.
2: we were just getting ready I think we were just just settling down I think she gave us the time to, to settle and just talk and just you know all that kind of stuff um
1: yeah and so it was during that time that i didn't really voice it immediately but i was like oh i'm starting to feel a few like what i thought were contractions but hadn't really ever had a contraction in my life obviously so didn't know what a contraction necessarily felt like anyway so after about i don't know 10 15 minutes or so i was like said so to cam and to jeanette i was like i think this sounds crazy but i think i might be having some contractions Anyway, as if on cue, Joe comes in. She's like, you suppose you're feeling some type of contractions." I was like, "Funny, you should mention that." Uh, <laughs> That's so cool.
2: But also, prior to that, they had wanted to induce her, obviously. And I think cytotec was mentioned uh, being used being, being used first. We bought more time, and then I think pitocin was also yeah suggested as as the alternative. And we just kept buying time. We wanted to try to see if we could if this was going to happen naturally. We also wanted to talk through the options and you know whether one of those was better than the other and what the alternatives were. And we just kept buying time and just talking it through. And that's when yeah, she just went into labor naturally.
1: But obviously at that point it was still very mild contractions, and it was the, the thinking was still like we still need to give you pitocin and and like speed things up here to which I was like, is there any chance we can have a little bit of time just to see if things naturally progress. And this is when, you know, even more grateful for Joe, I'm sure if I'd have had a, 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 the and that I'd initially been with, they'd have been like, no, we need to get this baby out. But instead Joe was like, okay, let's, we'll give you some more time. And that is why she's getting all the pressure from the internal team at Mount Sinai West to who are saying to her, this woman's here to give birth. Why isn't she just giving birth? Like, why isn't she just following the procedures? So, Yeah so that went on and obviously like we knew that the more natural option would have been a Foley balloon but given that I wasn't dilated like that was obviously not looking like an option but obviously Joe could see that I was getting more and more upset about the thought that I was going to be induced and I I guess got speaking to the team anyway it turns out that they had recently one of the resident nurses said she'd recently inserted a Foley balloon into a undilated woman and had some success with it obviously sounded like a pretty painful procedure but I was like sign me up like honestly and it wasn't I'm anti-induction or anything like that I just I'm not somebody that likes taking anything like I hate the idea of putting something like, I hate taking a painkiller like I'm just really weird about it so the idea of putting something into me I was like I'd rather go through like excruciating pain than have than take anything like that seemed like the less fearful option for me um that's just like who I as a as a person so they put the foley in and we that was about quarter to 12 I think a put the foliage in at night so close to midnight and and I think
0: obviously- if from the notes you sent me you were about two centimeters dilated when they did that yeah, yeah. yeah. usually if you're at least like that dilated they can put it in and it's actually going to fall out around four centimeters anyway it's just for that little bit of dilation help yeah and then
1: that's when I also started getting and I think I mentioned this too as well the, the really bad shakes and the teeth chattering which I'd forgotten about until I remembered that relatively recently which was really quite overwhelming. Like I just could not stop shaking. And obviously there was nothing, I don't know, I guess it's the hormones or whatever, but I was, the teeth chattering was just like overwhelming.
0: And was there anything that you did or your doula suggested or anything that helped with that? Yeah,
1: she, and this is when it was obviously overnight. So Cameron lied down to try and get some rest and She came and did some Reiki on me and did some like hand massage and it worked really well. At the time I was like what have you just done to me because it's just it stopped pretty instantly actually. So cool. Yeah and every time I'd start getting it she'd come and do that and it would calm me down. I don't know whether it was just making my brain think different. I don't know anyway it worked. Hmm. Um, So I guess the idea was over those four hours from sort of 12 till 4 we'd get some rest. I didn't really rest. I was just kind of going with the contractions
2: which were
0: gradually getting stronger and cam was having a little nap and i'm not sure if you said uh, you arrived at the hospital about eight thirty p.m
2: yeah it was 8 30 yeah
0: and so you're saying this is 12 a.m to 4 a.m yes yeah. exactly so
1: i think and i think i remember from your from the birth class that you'd said like around six hours it starts to work the foley was
0: that right i think it was around six hours Oh, there's a huge range in terms uh, of, yeah. Well, in my
1: head, I decided six hours was what I needed to give this to uh,
0: interesting. So at four,
1: I think around 4am it hadn't worked. And I was like, can we have a bit more time? Like, please, can we just see if it will like work? So we waited, Joe agreed. She was like, okay, like, we'll give it a couple more hours. So we gave it a few more hours. And by 6am, I dilated a little bit more. I can't remember how much, but like a small amount more, but not really enough to like make a difference. So again, I was like, oh, but I still have made some progress. So that's a good sign. So can I have a little bit more time? And God bless Jo, she was like, yes, okay, I'll, I'll give you a little bit more time. So then I think about 9 a.m. she came and checked me again. And by this point, I think I was about three centimeters dilated. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, which I was having a celebration about. So I said, like, this means I'm progressing. This is great. Like, this is a good sign.
0: You never uh, know how someone's going to respond.
1: To <laughs> <laughs> Which Joe was like, Yes, it is a good sign. Like, you have progress. Like, I think we can stop thinking about an induction at this point and just see how you how you move along. So, I think they took the Foley out then, didn't they? I think they took the foli out earlier than that.
2: I think it was earlier than that. Right. And I think we just said, can we have more time? But then, Potosin was obviously still on the agenda just because, yes, she was making progress, but not at the rate they wanted it to be. And you know, then the goal—the goal for them was to get the baby out, I and mean, that—that's why we were there in the first place, because you know, it what, it as
1: well. you know what
2: the scan showed. So, I mean, there's no telling about if it's going to take an hour, if it's going to take 24 hours. So, in their mind, in Joe's mind, and, and the staff, it was, let's just get this baby out, and let's progress. You know, and one way to do that is administer pitocin. That's going to get things beating up. And it got to the point of us asking for more time ran out. They had put the order in for quitosin and I think I went out and got coffee or something. And, and, me and the doula sort of took turns going to get coffee and came back and Joe checked you again. And at that point, I think your contractions were a lot stronger and you'd progressed to four or five or no, it wasn't four. It was four or something. Yeah. And I think, I think she could just see the, the contractions, the rate, the frequency, all of that on the monitor and just said, we're good. Like we can just, we, we can go now. We can just go through this and you don't need to do the Pitocin and we're, we're in it. Yeah, so we managed to, you know, Prime
1: example though of knowing, of having known to ask and known to kind of stand my ground. Obviously I wasn't gonna do it if it was gonna put myself with the baby at risk. But sure. knowing that at that point we were both fine, and knowing that I had Joe who would never have put us in a position where we were having to make decisions we didn't want to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah it got us to the place where I didn't have to have an induction and was still mm-hmm. in that environment and had been there for at that point like over 12 hours and managed to avoid them inducing me so
0: That's yeah. no small feat. <laughs> really <laughs> truly. But it paid off
1: and it was only through my due that having kind of sent me timings throughout the day that I was able mm-hmm. to
0: like, oh that was happening there and, it helps to have a doula to piece it together for you, doesn't Absolutely. it? Totally.
1: And also we used the TENS machine, which I totally forgot about. And we used that to great effect. It was a godsend. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, goodness! I think as well, just because when you're hooked up to all those machines and you don't have any mobility and you can't get in a bath or all those things, having something else that is a distraction just really, it's, it's like that becomes your tool. So that was my version of all of those things, I guess. And I was controlling it. We
2: started on that early. I think thing they 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 recommend you start it before the contractions get too strong because then it just it has no effect. So
3: yeah,
2: I think you know during the early part we hooked you up to it and yeah it it really worked. It was a a game changer.
1: It really was a game changer. Yeah, and I was getting a lot of low back ache as well, like and labor in my lower back. So it was key. It was for that that it was really instrumental in helping. And then sort of by about lunchtime, it's about 12 ish I guess. Joe was checking me again. I was at this point only four centimetres dilated. So obviously things were going not as quickly as perhaps I might have liked. It was suggested that I had my waters broken and I asked for that to be delayed. I didn't want that happening there and then. Carried on throughout the rest of the afternoon. Again, it all just feels like a total blur. By about 4.30, I was checked again. I, was, I had moved on a little bit. It was five centimetres by that point but again this felt like just a really long day so then around five o'clock it was suggested that I had my waters broken again and kind of encouraged that that was the best thing to do at that point so we did that and that was when we saw the meconium right
2: yeah so waters broke she did the test with the like there's like a swab thing I think they do where it test for the meconium I think that came out positive
1: at that point, we realized obviously there was meconium, which obviously
0: suggested to me that he probably, when he was born anyway, it was not going to go straight into my chest. Combined with the fact that there was some fetal distress on the monitor.
2: Yeah. This okay. was after they'd all come in. I think oh. they worked the waters after. So, yes yeah, so essentially, you know, because they had two on constant monitoring, they the baby's heart rate was going down during her contractions, and they could see that. And Joe came in during one of the contractions because she could see it out in the nurse's station and the heart rate was dropping. The baby was in stress and, you know, all of a sudden the rest of the nurses come in, lights come on, they are putting Lucy on oxygen. You know, Joe's trying to sort of probe the baby just to sort of shake it, you know, internally just to get it, get it going again. And
0: probably a little scalp stimulation.
2: Exactly. And it was, Mm -hmm. it was scary. It was you know, you're sitting there and all of a sudden your wife's getting an oxygen mask put on her and the is rushing in. And so the baby was in some stress and and they could see that. And I think that's when Joe's like, well, break your waters. Like, let's just do this. This is, we haven't done this yet. It's the next logical step to sort of getting things moving quicker.
1: And I think, and at this point is when my contractions also just started to, I mean, they're very intense, but it got to the point where I, when I hadn't really, really prepared for that, there was no break in my contractions. It just like felt like they were just rolling into each other. And I don't know what's really long and what's not, because I've not been at labour before, but they felt like they were very long. And you were watching them on the monitor, and they were appearing as very long. I just wasn't getting, even like those few seconds of rest in between that I kind of had expected, was just not happening.
0: You would expect that more of an induction you know, Pitocin often creates those on top of each other contractions, either yep. that or often when we're in transition. But, right. oh, that's tough. So that was around, I guess, like 738.
1: And my blood pressure would also, I'm traditionally have a really low blood pressure. Um, my blood pressure had spiked, baby's heart rate dropped dramatically. And yeah, it was just getting to the point where I just didn't know what, I was. I just didn't know what the next step was. I kind of was overwhelmed by it all. and. I guess our labors are very long and hard and everything, but I just hadn't expected to not have any gaps and for the contractions to be that long for that longer period of time. At which point I was kind of like, what are my options? And everybody had been really good to not kind of suggest what my next steps were.
2: But also backing up to oh, when, when everyone came in, you know, at that time as well, the oh, yeah. anesthesiologist came in, the other doctor who would be the one administering the C C-section came in. And basically t- started telling us, and you know, they had a form for us to sign, you know, sort of agreeing to if this has to go down, then we agree to it. And it was it was a full-on moment because you know they're sitting here telling you like, okay, sign this form because we're going to do a C-section, and the oxygen mask is going on, and the baby's heart rate, and Lucy's blood pressure, and and so it all while,
1: felt very dramatic. It was very,
2: it, yeah, it was yeah, very dramatic. it felt,
1: and I and I suddenly started panicking even more because I was like what what's going like we need this baby out healthy and happy yeah like, not helping your blood pressure yeah and yeah. it doesn't feel like this is going that way right now and my contractions are ridiculous and I'm and I don't know what the next step is to make sure that the baby's here healthy mm-hmm. so at which point I've kind of they left the room and I think I turned to someone and I was like right t- take me in for a c-section now we just need the baby here we just need the baby here healthy and happy to which everyone was kind of like okay let's take a step back <laughs> like, that's like very far away from where we are right now.
0: But, even, um, but it doesn't feel that way when they're coming in with paperwork and talking about a C-section, right? Yeah, and I
1: just was starting to worry about, you know, how much, how much distress
0: he was in and
1: the fact that if my health was suddenly starting to deteriorate, would that affect him? Like all of those things.
2: I think things regulated for, for a little bit. You know, they baby's heart rate sort of was stable for a little bit. So things did calm down. We kind of got back to where we were, but your contractions are stopped. Crazy.
1: It's crazy.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. And I was exhausted by this point. Yeah. You know, obviously you haven't eaten like for however long and I yeah. didn't really consume enough liquid probably either. Anyway, so at this point I, well, this is quite a little bit later. So around 11 o'clock, I think 11 PM, I asked for an epidural and Honestly, the 15 minutes waiting for that it felt like the longest 15 minutes of my life.
0: That's why in I, class I say, okay, support partners, if she requests the epidural, that waiting time is critical.
2: At this point, she was laboring, standing up, and she had, I was essentially like taking all of her weight on me. And, and the contractions weren't stopping, they were rolling into each other, and it was, you know, times 15. And this 20 had been going minutes. on for like hours, hours. at this point of just this constant you know pain right, that you were obviously in and yeah I mean it's those were a long 15 minutes waiting yeah for that to happen
1: anyway so at which point the just comes in and the thing that I'd been most scared of was having an epidural and the thing I was least scared of in the whole process was having at that point was having the epidural I, I was just like put it in me I don't care like anything that's going to take the stress out of this it wasn't the pain it was just the stress that I wanted to avoid for him and was and it was him at that point
0: that's what i was going to ask so was the epidural totally your idea or did any of your labor team
1: and i'd asked nobody to suggest it, other than the medical team and they kind of came and made the sign this form no one had suggested it mm-hmm. they kind of honored my request at that point it was very much me that turned to them and said i think at this point i need to do something that's going to help
2: you basically asked for your options
1: yeah i said what are my options and i said it's an epidural, my option and they were like yes it is
2: knowing lucy and the fact that she wanted to take a final and she's got the flu or whatever. The fact that she even said, what are my options? We, we all know what that meant. Like, she was at the end of this process. And
1: yeah.
2: She had done as much as she could have done.
1: Yeah, you know, there's so much. I, I probably place a lot of stigma on having an epidural and, like, not being like, oh, I've done it all naturally. I hate even that word. But you know what I mean? Like, I put a lot of pressure on myself to kind of try and adhere to what I thought was how I wanted to labour and actually asking for that I think actually prevented me from in the long run having a c-section and yeah, you know the that find out like eventually happened he ended up being delivered by vacuum and because i would had the epidural that made that so much easier and I just think there was a lot of things that I, I was saved from mm. because we did that so I think it was the right thing to do mm-hmm. um, I guess we'll never know but I believe it was well, yeah. I've been
0: doing this work for 11 years and reading your story, I totally agree with you. Yeah, yeah. it seemed like it really, really, well, you're about to share, but it really d- did the trick in terms of helping what seemed like it was heading toward a C-section totally turn around. Totally. You share instead of me saying those things. So I had
1: the, they put the epidural in. And the idea obviously was that I'd get some rest, that I would be much calmer, you know, I'd have some time to nap and then I would gradually... Hopefully, dilate a little bit more. It was funny because as soon as I had the epidural, Cam, that classic situation happens where Cam's like, my wife re entered the room. And I suddenly turned to everyone. I'm like,
0: what did everyone have for lunch today? And like, <laughs> you get back your social self, right? Yeah. and <laughs> seems so much more normal. It's
2: the weirdest thing because it was like she was having an out of body experience. Then the minute the epidural was given, it was like she sort of bounced back and was in the Lucy again. I think everyone
1: laughed when I asked about lunch because they were just like whoa whoa, hang on a minute this is a (laughs) person who was here like 10 minutes ago so yeah my heart rate regulated like my blood pressure I think came down most important thing obviously his heart rate regulated and everything calmed down a bit because at one point his heart rate had been lower than my heart rate so you know all really bad things were happening to him that shouldn't have been happening so it was for the best So yeah epidural was given and then I started thinking oh I have a little nap now and then that didn't happen because by I think in about about half an hour later I was suddenly nine centimeters dilated. So I've been given the opportunity to kind of relax and my body had relaxed and obviously that's what it needed. It just needed the opportunity to let go really and and I think at 11:45 p.m I was
2: it was like an hour or an hour and a half from the time the epidural came to like actually know, fully
1: dilated. no yeah and actually
2: giving it birth. was quick
1: and i felt the edge to push as well which obviously i wasn't necessarily expecting with the epidural i actually could feel a lot more than i thought i ever would with the epidural like i feel like i felt everything but just without the crazy pain and i guess because it wasn't in me for that long like it didn't it wasn't like building up or whatever and i didn't press the button to intensify yeah. it so yes yeah, so and then i started pushing and actually like even despite having all the wires connected to me, I still managed to try a few other positions which I hated. So <laughs> there was me thinking, I definitely won't want to be on my back. And I was like, just put me on my back. I'm happiest in this position. You never um, know. <laughs> so then yeah, then I started pushing. Cam gave me a great tip when I was pushing because everyone was trying to I'd done all the practice pushing, you know, beforehand, and I that all went out the window. I forgot about all of it. So Joe was trying to like coach me through it and I just I, I, I was kind of getting there but not really you
2: couldn't get the right kind of push i think that they were looking for like when joe was like let's just practice pushing and i i said i was like just pretend like you're straining yeah and she's like ah oh, i get it and like that's when you sort of knew yeah
1: what i needed to what do. you needed it to was do. like the cue i needed i was too delirious at that point to really think straight so you can't give me the perfect cue So then, yes, and then I started pushing. And as I started pushing, it became apparent that he was in, I guess, a compound position, is it called? So he had his hand in front of his face um, and wasn't going to come out very easily, and was going to need the help of a vacuum to be delivered. So Joe was really good at kind of setting the scene and saying, obviously, the lights are going to go on now, it's going to become a very medical environment, it's gonna be a whole team of staff that come in, it's not going to be this calm environment with music in the playlist, it's going to be very much like a scene from an ER ward or whatever. Yeah, Uh, because
0: in the vast majority of circumstances in a hospital, well, the vacuum or the forceps would only be used in a hospital setting, at least in the US. And The vast majority of the time, midwives are not allowed to do it in hospitals. It's always switching over to an OB's care. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. I think when she was pushing, baby's heart rate was again dropping. So I think the staff was literally just outside the room, ready to come in with the vacuum because they were watching what was happening and they, they could see Lucy trying to push. Baby was in distress and so they were sort of ready for that. And Joe prepped us for that. She's, yeah, you know, she said, prepped, yes. you know, they're outside the door, ready for this if it, if it needs to happen. And she knew
1: it was going to happen. She, yeah, she at that point. she seen the position and knew it was going yeah. to happen. Anyway, I love so that it, she
0: prepped you for that, because otherwise it might have been a lot scarier. I think I
1: thought, I didn't know what I thought, but I hadn't really, I guess I'd never thought that a vacuum delivery. I mean, obviously we talked about it, but it was so far removed from I kind of ever expected I think I probably imagined that I'd have a c-section before they even had a vacuum so they came to show me like what it, they came in and showed me what it was that they were gonna put on and everything else and I guess it I mean I don't think they give you much time for that to work anyway but it does work pretty quickly put it on the baby's head I guess and just pull them out which happens well. Very
0: I want to point out you're still giving birth when a vacuum is being used. Oh, you are still no. doing most of the work. <laughs> I felt
1: it. Don't get me wrong. And that was something I was really pleased about. Like, I never felt like the ring of fire, but I did feel like him traveling through my birth canal and felt like the whole process of giving birth obviously just felt like it happened pretty quickly and and they obviously say if she, if she doesn't get him out in the next one we're going in straight into a c-section and honestly that was the best thing I think they could have said because <laughs> that'll I, motivate you oh yeah it totally motivated me I was like mm, I've not got this far and now I need to have a c-section right <laughs> well literally like my life depended on it and at that point he did come out and another thing as well, I had really, really bad indigestion. And I think I mentioned this to you on reflux yeah. when I was pushing, mm-hmm.
0: which is something I was
1: not prepared for and it was actually overwhelming to the point where i like i didn't i felt like I couldn't focus on the pushing because it was so overwhelming this sense mm-hmm. of like acid and just sitting there mm-hmm. and like being like i was it was just horrible and I'd had a lot of reflux throughout my pregnancy, but a bad reflux, but this was it was horrible it was like my whole throat was just burning it was probably just a good distraction technique to be honest for me pushing but it was not a nice experience and then so yeah obviously because he'd had the meconium as soon as he was born they took him to get that out of him so he didn't go straight on my chest which was something I'd really wanted but we made sure that they didn't do anything else to him other than what they needed to and then he was put on my chest like almost as soon as I don't even know how long it was but it was quickly and I had Ended up with six stitches, which I think is pretty standard when you had a vacuum delivery. She could feel them administering stitches and kind
0: of flagged that. I was like, Jared, I can feel them stitching me up. And she was like, why don't you turn the epidural thing up? What are you doing? And whether it's an epidural or a- an injection of lidocaine, I feel like most of us feel more than we should. I, I don't, I'll never understand that because I'm like, well, then why are they even bothering to? give us yeah. a lidocaine a cane or whatever, you know, yeah. so strange. It doesn't make sense to me.
1: Yeah. And then he was there and he seemed fine and was all happy and healthy. And we didn't know what we were having at that point. So us to obviously found out we'd had a little boy, obviously because of the nature of how he was delivered, Cam didn't have to cut the cord and things like that, that we'd kind of thought would be nice, but in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. And I didn't realize as well, because obviously the administrative pretty suddenly Pitocin afterwards to help stop with the bleeding and I found that really interesting that how it works so differently when you're in labour and then when you've delivered as in stopping the hemorrhaging versus helping to induce labour so yeah and then that was that and then we stayed in we actually went there a long time we stayed in the labour and delivery room until 6am because we had to wait for the anesthesiologist to come back and remove whatever she needed to remove and then we went straight to our room and the the one good thing about delivering in COVID is that you, we got a private labour and delivery room for free. Um, and I think we ended up, we, we could have stayed two nights and we actually ended up staying an extra night because I think we had that room. And just, we felt like we didn't know how to do what we were doing. And I really am grateful that we stayed that extra night, just getting the support of the lactation consultant and all that kind of thing. And all
2: the staff were incredible. Oh, they were
1: amazing. Like, unbelievable, the staff. At and like, the facility was incredible. Like, yeah, it was brilliant. And... Joe came to see us the next day, you know, to check in on us, which was, again, that's another amazing thing about having a midwife. It's like, they come and check on you the next day. And she came and checked on us four days after we'd given birth at home. And then another two weeks, like another, then a week later. The aftercare that everybody
0: should have, but doesn't, unless they work with a midwife.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I mean, it was fundamental to how We felt reassuring us just to, you know, I got her to check my stitches were healing properly and just feeling like knowing that that was all healing, going in the right direction and having that reassurance. And Mm -hmm. he lost quite a lot of weight before, you know, they all do, before we left the hospital. She was just really reassuring and kind of practical about advice in relation to that. And Mm
2: -hmm.
1: yeah, it was having that visit was the best thing ever, I think, about Mm -hmm. the whole postpartum experience especially with not having family here obviously them being in the UK and not being able to travel over with COVID and all the rest of it so yeah we just feel so grateful having the team that we had and being able to make those decisions that we could make because we had Joe delivering and we had the support and our doula obviously being the great advice that she was and support as well and that was another thing when I was when I first heard about I didn't really know much about doulas I guess before I chose mine and I was always like why would you have a midwife and a doula like what the- I don't really understand this mm-hmm. and it was only when I was in labor that suddenly I was like this makes total sense like yeah. the midwife is literally there just to, to do all the medical stuff mm-hmm. and the doula is there to be doing all of the practical like hands-on massage support for cam like without doubt like having both of them there was fundamental
2: I, c- um, I could not have done it without our doula it's the things that you, that you need to say, to do, to reassure your partner and, mm-hmm. you know, having that extra support is what was key, I think. And just
1: and also just silly things like when you're trying to go to the bathroom, when you're laboring with all of with the IV drip and all the wires and like disconnecting them, like having her do that instead of having to have Cam do that every time, like was just, just great. I mean, obviously your husband, your partner, whoever it is sees everything that they never thought they'd see in their life (laughs) yeah having her there to kind of help with that sort of thing and I think also because we were at hospital for such a long time and she was there and throughout the whole of our labor really rather than having any time at home for it like it Mm was amazing having her Mm
0: -hmm. yeah because it was long it was how many hours total I think about well it was 8 30 we went in and then he was born at two on the Thursday sorry that grunting you can hear in the background is the baby over a full day and that's, yeah was something like that, that's two hours that's that's long I mean and also inductions take on average 24 hours yeah. so yeah and Cam did Jeanette did your doula tell you go take a nap or remind you to eat or drink or what in what ways did she support you in addition to what you already shared
2: that first morning you know we both took turns just to go out and get a coffee you know she went first and then she got back and I went
0: I'm glad Uh, policies had loosened up enough to where you could do that thank goodness yeah thank thank
2: god so remind
0: us what month you were giving birth in
2: March 2021
0: so like a Um, year into the pandemic Mm
2: -hmm. so that was good and then I don't think I left again I I don't think we like we took turns obviously like you know I would go and sit down and she would be with Lucy and you know while she was having contractions and we'd switch and
1: so honestly, the power of Jeanette, she, the amount of pressure she put on my, my back for hours and hours, I don't know how she did it. She, I mean, her arms must be the strongest arms in Brooklyn. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> We're going to say, hey, Jeanette, put that on your website, the strongest <laughs> yeah. arms in Brooklyn. <laughs> At one point, I do remember thinking, like, how has she done this for so long? Um, Sometimes it takes us weeks to recover after a birth, and we have to really be careful with like our form, you know. And which is why when we did the hands-on comfort measures in class, that I was saying, "Hey, partners, have your ergonomic health in mind and your alignment in mind." Yeah, because it can really be a
1: lot. It was definitely key. Yeah, and then she came around obviously afterwards as well, like a couple of days later, which was great too, just to have her there for that support and all that kind of thing. So yeah, that was our, that was our birth story. I do remember as well, another thing when I was pushing was the overwhelming thought, I think, was just thinking how bad my hemorrhoids were gonna be afterwards. I was just lying there thinking. And and that was like another distraction for me. It was just like things that you just think you're not gonna think about, but instead you start thinking about when you're giving birth or in that (laughs) stage, it's just kind of,
0: yeah. Did you wanna talk at all about postpartum and healing? And I know that you saw Sonia.
1: Yeah, we saw Sonia before we gave birth.
0: So Sonia's a pelvic i
1: going to see her again next week just to kind of suss out what's happened to my pelvic floor and what situation it's in now. But postpartum, I think at two and a half weeks old, our baby was, he got an infection. So he was, we were rushed to the ER and he was in hospital for four days, which was very, very stressful, but also kind of really highlighted to us how we'd invested so much time and energy in everything pre-birth and labor that we didn't really spend any time thinking or digesting anything about child care or preparing for like what to do with him when we got home I think it just all felt like we'll deal with that when we get to that point but actually I think on reflection I probably should have invested a little bit more time or just like I don't know made some notes that I could like quickly look at you know in those few days after giving birth
2: Hence the extra night in the hospital. Like, we don't want to leave.
1: On reflection, I probably would now have a postpartum doula, especially because we're in the time where, you know, I didn't have any family members and Ham didn't take any paternity leave. So we were just like, he was straight back to work. And it was just, you know, there on your own, dealing with recovery and dealing with a newborn and not really knowing what to do. And I guess everyone's in that same boat. But yeah, I think if I'd have had a postpartum doula for like, even just like a couple of hours in that first week, I think it would have been a godsend just to have someone at home while you're going about your day-to-day just to reassure you about things or like help you out or give you a bit of time to just um, reflect on like everything that's happened
2: I think it's more the reassurance I think you know you have no choice but to figure it out you have no, you just brought this baby home and it's it, it's the two of you and and your baby and you you have to you have to become parents and you have to do everything that you need to do so you have to figure it out but I think having having reassurance as to you know someone like yeah this is right this is normal this is supposed to happen yeah all of that I think is helpful
1: I didn't really anticipate kind of how how much labor takes a toll on your body and how you just can't do anything and how long that lasts for and I just, no, I don't think anything prepared me for how painful labor is and how it doesn't, you know, you, you're not bouncing back after two days. You can't walk from your bathroom to your bedroom for weeks, let alone like. Yeah. Walking. Particularly
0: with vacuum yeah. delivery.
1: Yeah. Right. And that's another thing like you, know, you don't know how you're going to end up delivering or so how quickly or not quickly you're going to recover. Um, mm-hmm. It actually turned out I had an infected cyst as well, which I think slowed down my recovery as well. So mm-hmm. there was loads of, factors that meant that all the things that I've been doing before I gave birth I'm just about starting to do now seven weeks postpartum not seven days postpartum as I was kind of expecting but having like somebody there to help out would have made things a lot easier definitely and also um, having to
2: go back to the hospital for three nights at two and a half weeks was neither. not ideal not ideal definitely slowed yeah. slowed Lucy's you know healing process down I'm sure tremendously yeah. Also just like, you know, when you're trying to get in the in, into some sort of routine or get in the swing of things and you're trying to establish this new life at home and then you feel like maybe you make it some progress, then it just sort of gets turned upside down and you're back in the hospital. That was you know, just obviously you know, super unfortunate to kind of just mess things up a bit. But. Yeah,
1: but then to that point, like there's that like I was saying, there's certain things that I wish I'd educated myself a bit more about. Like we Didn't realise that if a baby under six weeks has a fever above 100, like it's really really dangerous. Hmm. Six weeks, it's not so dangerous. It's just a fever. But at that, I had no idea, and it was only because I kind of did that classic thing where I was like, "Oh, I won't message the paediatrician. I'm just going to sound like a paranoid parent." And then Mm -hmm. finally did message the paediatrician to say, "Oh, you know, he's been very sleepy, and he's not really eating, and he's making these whimpering sounds. I'm sure it's normal, but is it?" And she was like, check his temperature. And that's when we did check his temperature. And it was obviously like 101.4. One and we were rushed, told to rush to the ER. But things like that, like I just, yeah, I just didn't know to check. Yeah,
0: and even if you heard it in birth class, it just doesn't all stick it can't all stick with you. There's no way it can. <laughs> but yeah, usually the threshold uh, is 100.4. If it gets to that or anything higher for the birthing person, the postpartum parent or for the baby, yeah. that that's the time to seek out some care. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and even just like
1: knowing what would happen if a newborn does get rushed into hospital, like what's going to happen, what are they going to do? Like mm. I just kind of expect them to be like, "Oh, you're fine. We'll just check his temperature and then you can go home. But spinal
0: tap, probably? Spinal tap, yeah.
1: Within 10 minutes of me right. being there and obviously Cam couldn't come in because of COVID so I was on my own right. with him for four days. Mm-hmm. Within 10 minutes, we're on an ER ward, just a general ER ward on a bed, like a normal bed the baby is just placed on and he's having blood taken, a catheter up him, oh. uh, urine taken, spinal tap, which, you know, I didn't really want an epidural for my pregnancy, let alone my two and a half week old baby hey, having a spinal yeah. tap. Um, they're x-raying his stomach and another thing I'm like my two and a half week old baby is having an x-ray what's going on and then they want to put him immediately onto antibiotics it's like all these things you're just thinking oh I didn't think he'd be having any of this for years let alone in the first few weeks of his life mm-hmm. um so just I feel like if we had maybe paid a bit more attention to the things that could potentially happen to a newborn so yeah
0: but then makes it makes me want to brainstorm about like, can I make a little tip sheet that just gives a few, like boils things down into like an easy tip sheet for new parents yeah. to just jog memories of some of the most important pieces yeah. of, you know, to remember as you become a parent, because it's just so overwhelming otherwise. And even just to put that on your fridge, like not even look at it before,
1: but just say, okay, I'm going to print it out. And I'm going to put it on my fridge when they come home from the hospital or yeah. when I've had my birth at home or whatever. And yeah. then look at it and like not think about it or worry about it beforehand, but just have it for that first day. So you can say, Oh, these are the things I need to think yeah. about now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that would be really like helpful and beneficial mm-hmm. for any first-time parents that mm-hmm. haven't come through anything before. And hopefully you yeah. won't have to deal with any of those things, yeah. but just in the yeah. um, small chance that you might have to, that you know what to look out for. And obviously just follow your instincts as well. Like my just, I checked in with so many people who were like, "Oh, babies are sleepy, you know. Babies get tired. Like, don't worry too much about it." But my instinct, I think, did tell me like there was something not quite right, and mm-hmm. that's what made this check. And also, have a really good pediatrician. We have an amazing pediatrician. Oh, um, I think that makes a big difference too. Did
0: your midwife recommend the pediatrician, or how would you find them? No, with- it was. It was well. It's just because their their practice is two
1: blocks away from us, so. I think I'd spoken to someone a couple of years ago that I knew that she'd been their pediatrician. And when I found out I was pregnant, I'd, I contacted her as well. And she's not my actual, my general doctor, but she has been really supportive. So yeah.
0: I, now I think we emailed and I think the name I gave you was that same person you had already heard yeah. of. Yeah. She's
1: amazing. She's just been phenomenal. And I, like, I mean, the moment she found out he was in hospital, he we got admitted at 1am in the morning and she'd called me by 7am that morning to check and see what was happening. And like, she wasn't just asking about him. She was asking about me. She was checking that I was being looked after and getting oh. the things that I needed. So, yeah, oh, she that's was lovely. Phenomenal. Phenomenal.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Um, so,
1: yeah.
0: All right. Well, are there any other things that you haven't gotten to share as we start to wrap things up that you would like to share or any final? You've already give, given some great tips for expectant parents or new parents. Oh.
1: That I think is. another thing also, as well, I think, and I guess it's different for everybody, but I think there's so much pressure in the hospital on the breastfeeding side of things and like, we need to give them formula now because they're dropping weight and all the rest of it. And the reality is like, I think most cases babies put that birth weight back on pretty quickly. It's just because they're only getting a tiny bit of, so we ended up in the hospital going against every wish of mine and giving him some formula for like a few hours. Which I don't think he ever really needed. It was just there was a lot of pressure for us to do it and people making us feel guilty that he'd lost weight. And it's like, that's pretty normal for him to lose weight. And do made a really good point. And she was like, You were on IV for like twenty over twenty-four hours. And water I'm weight. Into it. And there's yeah. a lot of water weight there too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all of those things that yeah. medically aren't looked at because it's like it's not a statistic, is it? It's just like, well, you were on an IV, we can't factor that into like the actual numbers but he was, he weighed 6'10 when he was born, which we were always quite surprised by because he never measured that big when he was in my womb. So yeah, I think I would never get as stressed about that as I did at that point. Like I was so paranoid about like, <gasps> he's put the weight on, he's put the weight on, he's put the weight on, but we were fortunate he fed well and everything else. So I don't think I ever really needed to worry about that to the degree that I did. So yeah, I guess our takeaways from everything and like advice would just be like, research, 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 like speak to as many healthcare providers as you think necessary until you find the one that you want. Make sure you know the birth that you want and without putting yourself or your baby under any kind of medical yeah. risk, like stand up for your rights, like take Lisa's childbirth course, 100% do that. Make notes, like, yeah, listen to all the birth stories you can because they helps so much. And yeah, they were, I think, our biggest takeaways, really, yeah, and just follow
2: your gut. The education, just educating yourselves on what to expect, what can happen, and then, you know, Lisa, one thing you you really push in your class is just knowing how to advocate for yourself, and we use that a ton during the whole process, and mm-hmm. it, it was instrumental, like, knowing when to advocate, knowing when to stand up for ourselves, and what we thought was, you know, we followed our instinct and knew what felt right at the time and i think just knowing we we could do that i think was was huge Mm. and and really paid off
1: and have joe as your midwife if you (laughs) can Uh, yes thank you for everything lisa like we are indebted to you honestly for all of your amazing help and Mm -hmm. advice along the way so thank you
0: Well, I'm just so thrilled for you and congratulations again. And one more time, I just want to say what an honor it is to know both of you. And I hope that you will stay in touch. Oh, I really hope so. I hope we can finally meet face to face in the flesh at some point. Wouldn't that be amazing?
2: That
1: would be amazing. I mean, the thing is, in New York, we're all so spoiled, aren't we? There's so many great resources out there and, and places to go. So we just feel very lucky that we found the best of the best in you. So yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: All right. Well, thank you again. And I hope to see you before long. Indeed. Thanks Thanks, Lisa. Lisa. Take care. Bye. Bye. Many thanks to Lucy and Cam for sharing their baby's birth story. Today I'll comment on a few things that came up in this episode, the Foley balloon induction for low fluid suctioning for meconium and an update on Lucy's midwife. Lucy brought up the Foley balloon, also known as a Foley catheter. If this needs to be used, you may want to ask your care provider if you could be sent home after it's administered. Currently, here in New York City, we hardly ever see this used outpatient, but in other areas this is possible. I also want to point out that the more people's preferences are verbalized to our medical system, the more we're likely to see change for the better. Because in general it's better to labor at home for a while, this is the one induction tool that might allow this. I teach on the Foley balloon toward the end of episode 22, which I'll link in this episode's show notes. You heard that the reason for Lucy's induction was that her amniotic fluids seemed to be too low. The clinical term for this is oligohydramnios please note that at the end of pregnancy, it is common and normal for the amniotic fluid to decrease a bit as the baby grows and takes up more of the available space. The measurement of amniotic fluid, which is called an amniotic fluid index, or AFI, is an estimate. They're looking at the ultrasound and guesstimating the pockets where the baby is not, and it's measured in centimeters. At the end of pregnancy, if the measurement is less than around five centimeters, that's the threshold that would cause most care providers to say a day of induction is necessary. Please note that many care providers will instruct a patient to go directly to the hospital to check in for an induction and it will feel like it's an emergency. However, as you learned in Lucy's story, if it's purely an induction for low fluid, feel free to advocate to take your time, go home, eat a meal, calmly pack your things, and then only when you feel more prepared and ready to go to the hospital, head in. What we see all the time here in our New York City hospitals is that someone will be told it's an emergency to go for an induction, and as soon as they abide by those instructions, they end up sitting in triage or a waiting room for many hours. I'm talking around 12 hours. Clearly, when that happens, it was absolutely not an emergency. So just know that you could ask clarifying questions to get a better sense of whether something is a true emergency or not to help you make an informed decision on this. This is a smart strategy for just about any intervention in pregnancy or labor, since buying yourself time is one of the best ways to avoid unnecessary interventions and have the healthiest birth possible. In the show notes for this episode, I'm linking you to a definition of oligohydramnios and what the evidence says on induction for this reason on the Lamaze Connecting the Dots blog in an interview with the founder of Evidence-Based Birth, Dr. Rebecca Decker. I would dare say induction for low fluid is probably the second most common reason I hear here in New York City for induction, being a close second to inducing for dates. On the topic of meconium, which is baby's first poop that sometimes is passed in utero, like you heard in Lucy's story today, these days the official recommendation from American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, if there's been meconium in the fluid, is to not do routine suctioning. Reading from this current committee opinion, verbatim, infants with meconium-stained amniotic fluid, regardless of whether they are vigorous or not, should no longer routinely receive intrapartum suctioning. Please note, though, that many birthplaces still do routine suctioning at a minimum with a bulb syringe, even when there hasn't been meconium. So just add it to your list of things to ask your care provider about if you would like to avoid unnecessary interventions. Check out ACOG's current recommendation on this topic in the show notes to read the full details, which was reaffirmed in 2021. The midwife praised in this episode, Joe Zasloff, was also the attending midwife in episode 42. Joe very recently switched from attending hospital births to home births. You can find her practice, which I love that she calls feminist healthcare, at nettlewellness.com, linked in the show notes for episode 73 at birthmattersshow.com. Okay, here's a sneak peek of what's up next week.
3: I really thought the C-section would be harder than a vaginal birth Mm -hmm. overall. Now I don't feel that way. They were just both really difficult in different ways, really painful in different ways. Reconciling one with the other. My home birth wasn't magical. It was healing in terms of it's what I wanted and it's what I planned, but it wasn't this dreamy, ethereal birth that I kind of had imagined in my mind. It was just, it was a birth. And um, it was still really special because it was our birth. And so it will, will always be special. Before I had my cesarean, I had this high horse about like, oh, people who have cesareans, it's only because they're you know not educated enough. And usually it's not indicated that they need a cesarean, but like I needed one. And so after that, I felt like I was really humbled. And as a doula, I just feel like people should be educated about their decisions. And as long as they know what they're deciding that that's their decision and they should go forward with it in an empowered way.
0: Something to ponder this week. You deserve to feel heard and respected. Do you feel like you're currently receiving unrushed, respectful care by someone who's truly listening? And remember, it's never too late to switch. Thank you so much for listening to the Birth Matters podcast. We'll see you next week and be well.